to Apostates Anonymous, the show you turn to when you're no longer a heretic. I'm your host, Matthew J. DiStefano, and for the next hour, I'll be your Sherpa to nowhere in particular. Nowhere in particular. Hey, what's happening, everyone? Welcome to another episode of this stupid fucking show. We have got a real barn burner today. That sounded sarcastic. <laughs> no, it's actually going to be good. We're going to call my friend and colleague now, colleague, Pathios blogger, fellow podcaster, host of Messy Spirituality. I don't know if it's the Messy Spirituality Podcast or just Messy Spirituality. Jason Elam, um, I think we're going to spend most of our time talking to him today. So I'm not really going to have much to say afterwards, except I'll just wrap it up with a nice little fucking bow. But uh, we're going to give him a call and spend a good 30, 35 minutes or 40 minutes or so um, talking to him about whatever the fuck he wants to talk about. Um, I'm so glad you are listening to another episode. Please, if you could, head on over to Apple Podcasts, even if you're not listening to it on there, and put up a rating and review. So far, we have 11, and uh, we're averaging five stars. So, go figure. See, Mom? I can get A's in school. Um, and, and, and also, thank you to all my Patreon supporters who are the... Uh, the, the what do you, what do you what do you call them the producers running running the show they're the ones who back me so they're the ones who uh, allow me to free up my time and do stupid fucking shit like this <laughs> make stupid podcasts um so huge shout out to everyone who has uh supported me or continues to support me on patreon if you want to be one of those fine folks patreon.com slash mj i i would be forever grateful. And and you know what? Here's the deal. I've got five ebooks. Five. One, two, three, four, five. That are yours for the taking if you sign up on Patreon. I've got a post that's pinned on the top so it's easy access. You click a button, you download it to your device, and you have an ebook. So what what's the deal here? Let's get a couple people to sign up. That'd be amazing. I would really, really appreciate that if that could happen. Um, and if you don't want to do that, you got to pay for my books. But good news, they're on the cheap, yo. Heretic three ninety nine on Kindle, From the Blood of Abel three ninety nine on Kindle. All three of the bonfire sessions that are currently out ninety nine cents on Kindle. So what are you waiting for? What the fuck are you waiting for, people? Um, yeah, that's all I got. Any announcements? No. I heard uh, I heard Rudy, Rudy Giuliani has the COVID. So uh, get well again, Rudy. Um, I know I like to make fun of you, but I don't want to see anyone get the COVID. So, um, you know, I, I, I'd rather just watch you leak shit out of your head <laughs> and fart on camera. <laughs> I'm not trying to see anyone die of Rona. So, um, yeah, that's all that's going on. Uh, I hope everyone's doing well. Let's get into, uh, it with Jason Elam right now and uh hopefully he picks up right fingers crossed hello hey jason elam 
Matthew DiStefano, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing great. It's good to hear from you. It's it's good to be heard, and thank you for picking up my uh, my call and for joining me on my shitty little show. I don't take many people's phone calls anymore, but I will take yours. Well, that makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Um, <laughs> I, I haven't I haven't quite congratulated you uh, officially, but congratulations on joining Pathos. I know how excited I was when I first joined them, and I've since rejoined them. So uh, it's nice to be a colleague, I guess we can call each other. Well, I really love that. One of my favorite things about Pathios is that you and Keith Giles and Derek Day and Carl Forehand and and so many people that I respect and love so much are, are right there with me. And I'll tell you a cool story about Pathios for me. Uh, I actually applied... Ooh, four or five years ago to be a Pathos columnist on the conservative side. Oh, boy. And um, I submitted my application with a piece of writing that was deemed to not be conservative at all. And I got a very terse rejection letter very quickly. Did you frame it? Uh, that broke my heart. No, oh, I didn't. No. <laughs> I did not. It broke my heart. I really thought that, you know, that was going to be a great opportunity for me. And so now uh, I'm. Uh, writing a column on the progressive Christian side of Pathios House, and so I'm really grateful to be there, and I'm I'm excited to be there with you guys, dude. You're like uh, you're like you're like that um, that free agent that gets turned down by a team, and then and then you go win a championship with the rival. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not writing uh, winning any championships yet, but uh, maybe we'll get there. We'll see. Uh, well, you're doing something right if you are. I think Pathos is still technically the largest uh, faith and spirituality web English speaking website in the world. So that's wow. you know they're not going to accept anybody. Although I will say they accepted me, so maybe they do accept anyone. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> no, you you do a great job, man. I, I've I heard you before we ever talked, before I ever got to know you at all. I heard you on the Heretics Happy Hour, and then when I read your book, um, man, which one was it? Maybe it's so memorable you can't even remember. <laughs> well, it wasn't heretic. It was earlier than that. I was uh, just trying to think. Anyway, Abel? yeah, I think it was from the blood of Abel. Anyway, yeah. um, and you sound like a completely different person write, writing than you sound when we're having a conversation or I hear you on the podcast and dude, you are a brilliant theologian. And I just, I don't know that people who talk to you on the podcast realize who they're talking to. <laughs> well, you wouldn't know it by talking to me, right? <laughs> well, no, here's, here's the deal. Here's, uh, be, uh, be, this is, this is not about me, but this is my show. So I make it about me. Um, sure. I, uh, when I wrote From the Blood of Abel, I really wanted, at, at, when I first started writing it, I really wanted to be a scholar, and I really wanted to put forth something scholarly. Now, I'm not in academia, and I no longer want to be in that world by any stretch of the imagination, but I pretended to be when I wrote that book. And then I found my like writing voice, so I still, I think, have the theological chops. I'm just, uh, I have no interest in writing dense theological treatises or anything like that but um i'm glad you enjoyed the book i hated writing it did you really was it agony it was pure agony i i i wrote it i sent it to some scholars 
And a scholar uh, friend of mine said, you need to rewrite at least a third of this. And I was like, in my head, I was like, fuck you. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I did, and I'm glad I did. And it turned out for the better. But it was, um, it made me quickly realize how little I wanted to do with academia and scholarship. Well, I think that's a good realization for you to come to. That the right. sense that that I get from you, uh, both in your writing and on the podcast, is that you seem to be a person who who knows who you are and and are comfortable with that. Is that accurate, or is that an image you project? I'm totally projecting. No, <laughs> <laughs> I think I've come into my own. I, I appreciate that you've picked up on that. I, I I'm pretty confident in where I'm at these days, and it's funny because I'm confident in my um, it comes across as agnostic because I, 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 there's a lot of things I don't know and I'm really cool with that. And I don't know if this has been your experience, but as you wade into these deconstructive waters, you become, you, you don't necessarily have more answers, but you come, you become more comfortable with the non-answers, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was very, very certain of a whole lot of things that I no longer think are true for so long Right. that it's right. really, really, um, it, it's difficult for me to oh feel completely comfortable, you know, in the uh, deconstruction waters because I was so sure of so many things that turned out not to be true for so long. And so, but I think the place of peace that I've come to is it's okay to not know all the answers. Totally, yeah, and that um, that's scary as hell at first, but then you realize, yep. you know, on the other side of it, you're like, oh wait, this is actually pretty nice. Like it's almost like you're in the ocean flapping about, and you, all you had to do is sit there and float. You're good. Yeah. Right. And yeah. and again, when I when I heard you on the podcast that first time, I was like, you know, who is this guy? You know? And, and, but th as I read you and as I've listened to more episodes and then had you on our podcast, uh, I mean, I just think you're this deeply spiritual being that I'm so grateful um, you know, God or the universe or you have have brought to bear in my life because I, I just find a deep spirituality. You've got to be pretty secure in your spirituality to write a book called devoted as fuck. <laughs> well, no, I think, I think what happened is that no one bought the book. So I, I haven't gotten in too much trouble. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, my, my, my friend, Mike told me, yeah, I think this one's going to sell really well. And I, uh, well, that didn't turn out to be true. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry, man. I, I was hoping that really did well for you. No, it's one of those things. I mean, um, you know, I mean, what are you going to do? Heretics it was supposed to be like a, a coffee table book, right? That Christians put out in their homes on their coffee table for their friends to pick up. <laughs> yeah, next to our uh, next to our Heretic Happy Hour pillows. Have you seen those things? <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> one of those. It's it's one of those stupid things. Like you know, you it's uh you, you pop you pop things pop in your head. You think they're going to be funny, and they are. But then when it comes down to like marketing and actually selling shit, you're like. No one's going to buy this. This is just ridiculous. Yeah, but I love that you are with a publisher that gives you the freedom to pursue stuff I, like hey, that. That's why I tell everyone. There was something in my gut before I wrote From the Blood of Abel. I was like, go with choir. Because I went with Whiffenstock for my first book, and they're like reputable yeah. and been around forever. Right. Not yeah. that choir is not reputable now, but they were just a startup. And But something something in my soul, brother, uh, was like, go with choir. Cause, and, and I am so glad I did because all create like you get all the creativity ralph is the man like he he believes in his product and it's like damn i'm so glad i went with them so if you're ever writing a book i don't know if you're writing a book jason but if you are i would go with choir if i were you i'm not gonna tell you what to do but i'm gonna tell you what to do 
<laughs> well, I appreciate that. And uh, Ralph and I have talked a couple of times about that, and I certainly hope to do that in the future. There's no other publishing company I would ever want to work with. Just based on my experience with Ralph, hearing what you've had to say about it, also Keith, Carl, so many people that I love and respect are there that I can't imagine anywhere else I would ever want to be. Well, good. Um, but enough about me. What's what's going on with you? What's uh, What's been on your mind other than obviously... COVID, like like everything, you know, <laughs> it's been going on forever now. Um, you know, what's been on your heart lately? What, what have you been doing? Well, you know, I'm, I'm trying to trying to write a book. Um, I'm having some really good conversations, uh, both on the Messy Spirituality podcast and with other folks like you guys, um, about just, you know, where where are we headed now that we've kind of come out of institutional Christianity, now that we're no longer on that ship? Where? What's the purpose in that? Where is this thing taking us? Um, I think so many of us spend so much of our lives, in my opinion, waste so much of our lives trying to check all the boxes to keep God happy with us that we end up wasting years trying to live up to something that we've never been intended to live up to. Um, the other day, I, I just kind of came to a, I don't know, maybe an awakening that if God is love, and I believe God is, and if love doesn't keep a record of wrongs, then we're all going to be okay. We're all going to be okay. And so there's no hoops to jump through. There's no performance required. And if that's the case, we could just be who we are. We don't have to try to put on airs and be somebody we're not. We could just be who we are. And so what is this thing all really about? Well, if God is love, and that's the God I believe in at this point. I don't know much about God uh, at all, but I do believe that God is good and that God is love. And if that's true, then this is all about love, at least for me. And so when are we, as people who claim to be God's people, um, going to make that what our life is all about. You know, I think for a long time, especially in the United States, definitely not all evangelicals, but particularly the white evangelical church, uh, we've had palaces of privilege rather than refuges for misfit toys, which I think is what we were meant to be. Mm. Um, and so I'm trying to figure out what that means for me. You know, I was a pastor for 20 something years. Uh, I love to preach. I've been told I'm pretty good at it, but I don't really believe in preaching anymore, not the way I used to. And so I'm just trying to have deep conversations with people smarter than me, like you and Keith Giles and others, who will, you know, help me find where are we headed with all of this. It, it, it's got to. It's got to result in something for it to matter, you know, in my mind. So what are we going to do with where we are spiritually? Any spirituality that doesn't make me more loving, doesn't help me love my neighbor better, uh, it's, it's probably not worth me hanging out in very long. Yeah, there you go. But so, let, me, let, me, let me play devil's advocate because you said- Bring it, yeah. You said, yeah, you said something um, earlier that I, I too have said, and I've gotten this response- well, if God is love and this is all just about whatever you want to do, doesn't that give you license to sin? What is your response? To I mean, you're laughing because that's my response. I just, start, I just start laughing. But I want to hear I want to hear your take on that. My response is I was sinning really good without a license. I was there not needing a license. Uh, no, go. I just I just 
I think that question misses the point. And I, I mean that with all due respect to, I've, I've been asked that 50 times in the last yeah. five years. Yeah. Uh, doesn't that just give you the freedom to just go blow your life on whatever sin, whatever debauchery, whatever design? Not, no, because I'm, I'm not living for myself. I mean, I'm more captivated by Jesus than I've ever been in my whole life. But I don't think what happens in the average white American church on Sunday morning has anything to do with what Jesus talked about when he was walking the earth. Great. And so, so I'm feeling drawn to, you know, set out into the rough waters and, and find, you know, we, I, you may have heard the story. We sponsored the Hope Center, sponsored the Heretic Happy Hour for almost a year. The Hope Center was a group uh, that, it was a church that we started near Birmingham, Alabama, that was just a typical Sunday morning church in the countryside, middle of nowhere, one of the most drug-addicted, poorest communities in Alabama. And after trying like the devil to uh, build a crowd and build a following on Sunday morning, to have a church, you know, have big services and all that, all the programs, after trying to do that for years, we just kind of gave up. And, and and finally resorted to the thing we should have done in the very beginning. And we just started asking the neighbors, what do you need? Because it's Birmingham, Alabama. There's a church on every corner. They didn't need another church service. Right. But what they needed, what they needed was food. Yeah. And so we quit having our Sunday morning service. And we set up like a indoor farmer's market where the neighbors right. could come through and shop for anything that they needed to feed their families. We had some paper products and stuff like that, but it was mostly, you know, canned items, boxed items, and then fresh produce and dairy and meat and all that. They could go through and shop. We wanted to, you know, empower dignity. Um, and so it wasn't like a giveaway. We didn't herd them through like cattle and put a, you know, box in their hand and push them out the door. It was like, it was community. It was awesome. These people came in and had real needs and, but, what was so cool was they'd come in and they'd spend time asking how we were doing. And they were trying to, you know, what, what I would call minister to us that they, they would never use those words, but they were encouraging us as we were trying to serve them. Sometimes these, these senior citizens that would come through, we'd have to push them through in wheelchairs and they'd be on oxygen. I'm thinking of one in particular who's now passed away because of COVID um, that we would push through he and his wife uh, in their wheelchairs. And he would always want to pray with us. And, and he would pray for us. It wasn't asking us to pray for him. And I experienced more of the presence of God in that little market, that little free market, than I ever had in a church service. And we did that, and we gave away food for as long as we could until we just ran out of money and couldn't maintain the building anymore. And uh, that shut down now like a year and a half ago. And man, I miss it like crazy. But if I ever go too long, without catching a glimpse of Jesus. I know he's always hanging out with the poor. He's always out there with the homeless folks. He's always, wherever the need is, wherever there's people in need, people in uh, tragedy or distress, that's where we can find Jesus. Anyway, I'm, I'm you, off on a tangent now. No, 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 that's brilliant. Uh, do, you, do you see the church going that way? Or do you see, because um, it seems like there's more people starting to understand this to some degree. And then there's a group of predominantly white evangelicals digging in their heels and sticking with the status quo. And, and, and what I mean by status quo is, is like what you talked about, like 
church is on Sunday. We stick in this building. We do our thing. But it's not it's not necessarily about the serving of the community, the least of these, the poorest among us. Uh, do you I mean, obviously, you must have some hope that the church is going in that direction of how do we actually practically walk this thing out? Yeah, I think that I've got a lot of hope for the future. I think the the emerging generation, you know, people 30 and under, um, are just sick of religious BS. They're tired of the Sunday morning show. They want to give their lives to something that is going to actually make a difference in people's real lives every day. And so I'm very hopeful that as that generation um, matures into leadership of the country, not really even the church, um, that we're going to see spirituality shift in a real practical way. But I think COVID has been a great line in the sand because on one side, you've got folks saying, we want to keep everybody safe. We're going to broadcast on our Facebook page or do it online or whatever. We want to serve the community, but we don't want to endanger anybody. Uh, pastors who are taking food to shut-ins who can't go to the grocery store because they're high risk for COVID, people who are going out of their way, exposing themselves to the virus in order to serve people who could die from it. And I think that is exactly what Jesus would be doing if he was living in the United States in 2020. But on the other side, you've got pastors demanding their rights. And every time Christians demand their rights uh, at the expense of loving their neighbor, we take a step away from Jesus. And again, I think in the end, we're all going to be okay. I really do. I think God's, I mean, I really, so much so that I believe Hitler, bin Laden, Donald Trump, the whole crowd is going to surprise us uh, one day with whatever comes after this life. Uh, I think God's goodness and God's love is, is paramount. His mercy is real for every single soul that has ever lived. But I think we're seeing a great um, line in the sand drawn between those who are following the model that Jesus left us and those who are gathering a crowd for themselves, building an empire for themselves. Dude, I tell you what, I'm a, I'm an unabashed universalist, but with this COVID thing, I I, I think I put purgatory back into my theology because <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, actually <laughs> go ahead. No, go go. I, I actually love the idea of something like purgatory because um, I do think that you know the, one of the objections to universalism is that um, you know somebody like Hitler, people don't want to go to heaven with somebody like that. People don't want to spend eternity with somebody like that because they they see them say, well, at least I'm not as bad as Hitler, right? But something where you encounter the white hot love of God that burns away all of our insecurities, burns away all of our biases and our hatred, and just purifies until the only thing that remains, and I, don't, I say burning, I'm not talking about flames, I'm not talking about torture, I'm talking about loving the hell out of us. Um, I can get behind that. I I probably need to spend some time there myself. I think we all do. Uh, let's be honest. Like I, I I truly believe this is what Paul believed in. I believe Paul was a universalist, but I believe Paul believed what you just said. Like, and he used the language, the wood, the hay, and the stubble. Yep. And that's going to be burnt away, and that's all you know. That's all gone, and what's left is the nugget of of goodness. You know the 
You know, even Hitler was a cute little baby at one point. You know, that yeah. that 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 little nugget of goodness, the uh I forget which uh it was a uh, an Indian theologian and I can't remember his name, but he talked about the um the spark of the divine in every soul. You know, that yeah. that little nugget of goodness is is there. And like, you know, like you said, might need to go through a little period of uh getting rid of the uh narcissistic ego that all of us can become. Absolutely. And, and I think we all have a, a tendency, especially people who've been in ministry, pastors, you know, we've got some pretty big egos and, and those probably need to be dealt with at some point because they get in our way of loving people uh, all too often. But, you know, uh, Keith Giles and I were talking about this the other day and a line came to my mind about Hitler particularly. It's a line from what has been my favorite television show for years and years and years, The West Wing. Uh, the character, the primary character that shows President Josiah Bartlett played by Martin Sheen, right? And uh, he's giving a speech about some people who set a pipe bomb off at a university and killed a bunch of people. And he's making a speech first time right after this huge national tragedy. And he says, they weren't born wanting to do this. Yeah. And that, that cuts me right to the quick when I think about somebody like Hitler. Hitler wasn't born wanting to commit genocide. That spark of the divine was there. Now, I don't know what happened to him. Right. And I know a lot of other people who have done some really heinous things. Uh, a lot of the people that I think of um, with that spark of the divine, uh, you know, they, they've got real addiction issues and they've kind of destroyed their lives and destroyed their families and all those kind of things. But that spark of the divine is still there. And they yeah. weren't born wanting to live the lives that they're living right now. And but but man, the church writes off people who don't fit in. Yeah. And so if the church writes you off, what hope do you believe you have if you think the church is the reflection of God in the world today? Yeah. What really helped me, man, and and uh, has influenced my theology as much as any book or any scholar, any any mentor of mine, was doing social work and working with kids in group home. Like, I understood that there was trauma below the surface that had not come up, that had not been dealt with, that trapped these kids from the time they were molested at three, four, five years old or some shit like that. And then you realize just how tied up in each other we are, how tied yes. up as interdividuals, as Gerard would say, we are, to answer the proverbial question from Genesis, we are our brother's keeper. <laughs> we, we are responsible for ourselves, sure. We are responsible for the choices we make and all that stuff. But it's not, it's a false dichotomy to say we're entirely responsible because we're also responsible for one another. We are, I'm responsible to some degree of, of how my daughter is raised and whether she's going to be traumatized or not. And I have to make a choice to not do that, where some parents make the choice to do that. And so right. they are responsible as well. So we are all in this together. To my mind, either everyone's in or everyone's out. End of story. Yep. Like we're all in heaven or we're all in hell in the end, because if one is lost, as Talbot would say, like it's we're all I mean, David Bentley Hart would say this, too. Like, I mean, there, this is a loss. This is a loss for all of us. Mm. Did you start off evangelical? I, yeah, I started off uh, rapture, Bible believing, inerrant, penal substitution, all that for like 20 some odd years, man. Okay, good. Me too. Now, how, what that transition? What was that transition like for you? Do you remember like a moment when you just had a realization that God was not who you thought God was? Yeah, but it was after I had thought that there is no God. So I went 
I went the atheist route. I said, if God, if this is God, I don't think God exists. And if he does exist, he's not getting my worship because I can't do it right. any longer. You know, I can't worship the monster God. Um, and then I found, oh, that's just monster theology. There's a difference, yeah. right? Right, yeah. Well, was it was it a Damascus Road event for you? You know, it was a it was a gradual thing. I mean, I think it took like ten or fifteen years for me. But it's yeah. weird because I can point to the experience where everything changed. I was listening to Jonathan Martin interview Brad Jerzak on a podcast, uh, pastoring a church. Um, I was I had gone to the gym, was walking around the track. I got on the track, believing in hell, believing that gays would go to hell, believing a lot of toxic, horrible things. Walking around that track, listening to Jerzak talking about the white hot love of God, I when I got off the track, I didn't believe in those things anymore. And yeah. I had a small group that I could go to, and we actually met that night. It was our regular Wednesday night meeting, and I went and I told everybody in the group what had happened to me. And some of those folks left the church, and others said, oh, I'm so glad that we don't have to believe that anymore. Yeah, but but I, it changed everything, right? It changes your parenting. Because when you believe oh, yeah. that God wants to fry some people for all eternity, that God hates who you are at your core, it makes you hateful. It makes you violent. It justifies all the violence. I really used to believe that spanking, you know, uh, beating my children, not, you know, violently beating them, but spanking them would, would produce righteousness, but that's not the God I believe in anymore. So I can't be that kind of parent. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I am a uh, hardcore, I take a hard line stance on spanking and I, I see it as a awful euphemism for hitting. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I'm just, I know that we got people listening to us that aren't there yet. And, and I, I, but I you're exactly that. right. I mean, it is absolutely child abuse. I understand but that. But it's completely but. justified and, you know, scripture has been used to justify something that I don't think God would ever want any part of. No, I, I agree with that. And to the people who aren't there yet, I just, I mean, I'm going to say what I'm going to say because it does cause trauma. And you can say, you could say things like, oh, I turned out okay and I was spanked. It's like, okay, yeah. But a lot of people can say I, I was a, a you know a alcohol baby and I turned out okay. That doesn't justify. I mean, you turned out okay in spite of it. I think I'm okay. My dad left when I was five. Should we should we say dad should leave? No. Right. Sometimes yeah. sometimes you turn out okay in spite of something. But I will just say that the science and the psychology says that spanking your children does cause trauma. It does. I mean, you could you could say it doesn't, but it does. And, no, I agree with you. Know, you. You're right. And and. We we say that we're okay. You know, that happened to me and I was okay. But I'm not okay. I've got trauma from all of that. I can tell you about trauma that happened to me as a child because of spanking. So why would I want to inflict that on my kids? Yeah. Yeah. The reality is I don't know anybody who's really okay. I think everybody no, I know play. needs some therapy. I need therapy, you know? Probably I think some... 99, 99% of people should be in therapy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and I and I wouldn't want to shame people who do think that because I used to think that too. I used to think, um, you know, spanking was okay. Um, yeah. Th this this was before I had I had a kid, so thank thank goodness. Um, but and and I wouldn't want to shame you know parents who have spanked their kids. 
But there's no better time now than to really research that. And if we want to use uh, Christianese, repent, which means to change your mind, like change your mind on this issue. Absolutely. Yeah, that's why I brought it up, because I'm so grateful that I had that encounter with the love of God that day that changed the way I'm raising my nine-year-old. You know, I mean, my nine-year-old never knew me that way as a parent. We've got three older kids that did know me that way. And I'm so grateful that at least the baby of the family got the benefit of somebody who really believed in unconditional love. Yeah, and this is the crazy thing about deconstruction and all this is that you get into waters that you didn't think you would. Parenting, sexuality, who you are as a person. You know, it might start with the Bible. It might start with theology. It might start with atonement theory. That's been my experience. But you start to get into some things, into the weeds that you never thought you'd get into. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you brought up that sin question earlier, you know, isn't that just a license to sin? And I kind of laughed because I just don't even think in terms like that anymore, because no. the sin question is is just going back to using the Bible as a rule book or uh, handbook for life. Uh, and if you don't live up to it, then you have disappointed God. And I just don't believe in a God that thinks in those terms at all. And and I understand that a lot of people still do, and and you know if that's working for them, great. But I don't know too many people it's working for. No, and I will say this, man. I think sin motivates a lot less than grace does. Yeah, you know, you talk about the grace of God that that makes you not even like you said, not even think about it. Like it's not even on your radar. Yeah, you're still gonna you're still gonna mess up from time to time. You're still gonna do shit that you regret. But it's not your focus. And and um, my, my best friend, Mike Machuga, in, our, in one of our books, I don't even remember where, but he made the analogy about like, if you're on the highway and all you're focusing on is the stuff you're going to crash into instead yep. of the open road, you're likely to hit the stuff that you're trying to avoid. Mm. And so the same, the same thing with sin. Yeah, absolutely. And, and don't you think that what you fixate on, you become? I mean, if we're we're constantly looking at our own sinfulness, our own brokenness, our own fallenness, if we're meditating on that day and night, then we're just going to amplify those things. But if we're thinking about how loved we are, how accepted we are, and that feeling those same things about everybody else, don't tell me that's not going to make the world a better place. Totally. I mean, if you sit here and think, you know, I'm a wretched worm, I'm a filthy rag, aka a dirty tampon, you know, you're not going to have positive mental health experiences. You're not going to have a solid psychology. You're, you're, it's not. It's just the, like you said, if we fixate on it, we're going to think it, it's going to be true. And it's going to, it's just going to end up, you know, being almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Absolutely. You know, one of my favorite authors, um, present company excluded, is Brennan Manning. Um, you, better, I, you better say that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I loved Brennan Manning. And, you know, his, his final book that was released after he died, he confessed that when he was writing the Ragamuffin Gospel and um, Abba's Child and all those books that to me were what Christian living was all about, all right? It, and they focused on grace, but the whole time he was writing them, he was struggling with alcoholism and he yeah. didn't tell anybody that. There's even a scene, there's a, there's a guy named David Leo Schultz that made a movie on Brennan's life. And um, there's a scene in the movie where Brennan comes back from speaking at a major Christian conference. And instead of going home to his wife, he goes to the bar. Uh, His wife on the phone had begged him, please just come home, just come home, just come home. He goes to the bar, gets wasted out of his mind. Eventually, the bartender throws him out, out onto the street. He's covered 
uh, he, he he wakes up vomiting. Uh, he's you know smells of vomit and urine, and a little boy comes up to him on the street and uh, offers him a hot dog. And the mother's just like, "No, don't you talk to that filth. Don't you even look at that filth. You just ignore that man and just pushes the little kid on by." The kid runs back, holds out a hot dog to him because he looks hungry. He thinks he's a homeless person, and says, "Mister, what's your name?" And even though he was still in his mind in the fog of the night before and covered in vomit, smelling of urine. He has the presence of mind to say, I'm the one that Jesus loves. Hmm. And man, that wrecked me. That wrecked me. What would it do for the world if even at our worst, on our worst day, we knew that we were absolutely loved by God and there was nothing that could ever change that. I think that's a game changer. I think it changes everything. And so uh, every chance I get, I just want to say to people, you are more loved than you think you are. You're more loved than you think you are. When God looks at you, I don't think God sees you as broken. I think God sees you as beautiful and whole and um, cherished. And it doesn't matter how your parents treated you. It doesn't matter how this world has treated you. Even if you've never felt special a day in your life, the love of God wraps itself around you and lets you feel at home, even if you can't feel at home anywhere else. Man, I, I, do, I don't go to church anymore, but I'm finna get out of my chair and yell hallelujah in a second. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true, though, and it's so good, man. And I'm, I, man, like, don't, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you to go back to preaching, but man, you could preach, huh? Uh, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm going to try to write a book and see how we do with that. Yeah, do that. I would encourage you to do that. And uh, tell, tell my, um, tell all seven of my listeners. No, I got more than that. I'm just playing. <laughs> tell, <laughs> tell all my listeners where they can, uh, where they can find your podcast and and. Uh, uh, your blog, obviously, we mentioned it's on Pathos, but I'll, I'll link in the show notes. But uh, awesome, yeah, you can find it at messyspirituality.org. That'll get you to the Pathos blog, and I post all the new episodes of the podcast there. So you'll you'll be able to find everything just going to messyspirituality.org. Yep, and I'll link in the show notes in case people can't uh, spell. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please do. Spirituality is no, a hard I, word. Yeah, we got smart listeners. I'm just playing. Well, uh, Jason, thank you so much for for coming on the show. I appreciate you. I appreciate you spending time with me. And uh, I will see you out there in the big, bad world of uh, social media. All right, brother. I love you. I appreciate you. Thanks for this invitation. All right. Peace, man. How fucking good was that uh, that discussion? Jason Elam, uh, you, you blew my socks off, buddy. Um, I, 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 <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Even if you were a preacher, I probably wouldn't go to your church. But the fact that I would consider it <laughs> speaks speaks volumes of you. So, um, yeah, good dude. I, I would encourage everyone listening, um, head on over to his website. The link is in the show notes. Uh, subscribe to his podcast, Messy Spirituality, and look for his blog by the same name on Pathos. And, um, yeah, just I'm glad he's writing a book. I don't know what it's about. We didn't get into it, but... Knowing Jason and having a few conversations with him now, um, I know it's going to be good. Unless you're a shit writer and I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it's going to be good. So I encourage everyone, again, it's uh, messyspirituality.org. 
Link in the show notes. So uh, that's it for today. I don't really have anything else to say. Trying to think. Do I have anything else to say? No. Oh, huge fucking win by Tottenham today. Oh, baby. Oh, man, it was lovely. Uh, To quote Brandon, my Arsenal supporting fan, it was boring as shit. (laughs) And I love it. We've been boring as shit for three games in a row against uh, Manchester City, Chelsea, and Arsenal. And we've won one, or we won two and, and drew against Chelsea. So we're in like the gauntlet of games against the big clubs and we're uh, frustrating the fuck out of them with our defense and then our uh, counterattack. And it's been beautiful to watch. So tip of the cap to Spurs. Top of the table again, uh, tied with Liverpool on points. But love the way we're playing. As a defensive-minded person, when I played hockey, I was a, I was a defenseman. So I just love that shit. I love ugly, uh, play defense, gritty frustrate the other team, um, you know, bend, but don't break. I love that kind of shit. So I am, I'm feeling pretty good right now. So, uh, if you don't care about proper football, then, uh, that, you know, what I'm talking is just bullshit. So, <laughs> but happy, happy. We got to win. And, um, yeah, uh, let me, let me preview what we got coming up. I've got, um, I got the confirmation by both of these guests. So, we're gonna we're gonna keep rolling on this guest thing and probably giving them the the majority of this show. I'm kind of liking that format. I'm definitely gonna go back to to doing some solo stuff when I can't get guests. But we got it. We got to run a guest coming up. Um, Mike Morell, you might know him from uh, co-authoring the book The Divine Dance with Richard Rohr. Uh, we had him on the podcast, uh, the Heretic Happy Hour podcast before. And uh, and then we're going to follow that up with Brenda Marie Davies uh, of the Goddess Grey YouTube channel with over like 109,000 subscribers. So um, kind of become like decent online friends with her uh, since um, having her on the Heretic Happy Hour. I think, it, yeah, it, it'll be the most when this comes out, it'll be still the most re- recent episode um, if you're listening on release day and, and you know. I think we have Kristen Dumay. I always want to say Mez, but it's Dumay. Um, she's the most recent guest if you're listening after Tuesday. But yeah, and then and then she had me on her pod or on her show, her podcast, God is Gray. That hasn't come out yet, but it'll be out. I'm guessing in the next month. So uh, it's been it's been real nice to get to know people like that online and see them doing cool stuff. Um, you know, forward thinking kind of shit that. Uh, christians need to hear kind of like jason is doing you know so there's just a whole fucking slew of us like trying to push trying to push the needle right trying to trying to shift the needle as derek would say um and it's slow it's a big fucking ship and it takes a long time to turn but uh you know we're making progress i think making progress so uh she's she's one to listen to so excited to have um some really cool guests coming up um, and then I'll go back to my stupid ass going solo until we get the next guest. But, um, yeah, thanks for listening again. Go to, go to Apple podcasts, please. And rate and review this show. Those are super, super helpful. We start getting ratings. We start getting reviews and, uh, you know, people start listening more and that's the goal, right? Uh, to get more listeners. So that's what we're trying to do. And again, not doing ads. 
I'm I'm banking on the fact that some of y'all will dig into your pocket even a dollar a month and support this show. So please head on over to patreon.com slash mjdistefano. Again, link in the show notes. Just click it. Sign up. It'll take five minutes. And then, and then uh, you know, we'll ensure that this shit continues. So thanks. Have a great week. Again, do something nice for someone. Do something kind for your neighbor this week. Do something kind for yourself. Love y'all. Bye.